What's good? I'm Miles Amadez Proud. And I'm Handsome Bane. Both members of the Hyphen Podcast Group and hosts of their best podcast. Enough with the humbleness. We're here today for two reasons. <laughs> to talk to you about the coronavirus. And because old man Connolly had us deemed essential workers. But in all seriousness, this isn't a laughing matter. So here are some tips to keep you safe. If at all possible, limit the amount of time you have outside and around others. Please, stay home. When returning from the store, make sure to wash your hands and sanitize all packaging, as well as your shoes. The virus can live in your shoes for five days. No, seriously. Stay home. Please, don't visit friends or family. Don't congregate at the parks or anything social. Stay home. Well, that's all. Please be safe and take this as serious as it is. Believe it or not, this is going to be life as we know it for a while. Thank you for your time. Blurt up. I swear to God, if one of you stupid niggas get my mom sick, you'll have to stand behind God when I see you. I'll blow this your lungs This has been a public off. service announcement brought to you by the Hyphen Podcast Group. You gotta isolate the sick, and I mean really isolate them. We gotta get everybody else back into the house. We gotta keep them there. We're doing this. No, we're not doing it because I just drove through a hundred people. And if one of them has got it, then ten of them have got it. And if one of them gets out, then we're in deep fucking shit. All right, so I'm sitting here watching Elimination Chamber. And let me just say that the SmackDown Tag Team Elimination Chamber match was awesome. It was freaking great. It was probably the best tag team, like multi-tag team match that I've seen in a minute. Because I don't know if y'all remember, but it was like when the Shield uh, really went to the tag team scene it was like the Shield and then the Rhodes Brothers and the original the Usos with the original gimmick and a few other tag teams, man. They were just coming on like pay-per-view every month. I feel like it was like 2013 when this was happening. They're coming on pay-per-view every month and just murdering it in these multi-team tag team matches. And everything out of that match is impressive, man. Um the dude from, I think it's Dorado from Lucha House Party did a, a shooting star press from the roof of the Elimination Chamber. Uh, Miz and Morrison won and retained. They continue to look great since they decided to pair them back together. The Usos going to Uso, they were great. They were the final team. The New Day looked incredible. Kofi looked like he had a little trouble with his shoes because he slipped at one point off the ropes. I wonder if his shoes were a little bit slicker than he anticipated. Um, but they look great. Um, Morrison, not Morrison, Ziggler and Rude looked incredible. Uh, Ziggler and Otis continued their feud over Mandy Rose. And Otis went completely through the chamber, through the plexiglass, like ran himself through trying to hit Dolph through like both, both pieces of glass. And went out the chamber. Maybe the chamber door was still open. I don't remember the inside. But he went out the back. And then Heavy Machinery was eliminated. Dozer looks like a freaking star. There's no doubt about it. Um, his partner, Tucker, uh, looks like he's been a lot of... I've always, when they first got to the main roster, everybody's talking about Otis and how Tucker was going to get left behind. Tucker did a, a freaking flip off the top of one of the chamber pods on top of everybody else with his big ass. It was awesome. 
uh, I, I cannot say enough. It, it had intrigue. Like I, I knew Miz and Morrison should ultimately retain. So I, that's what I was thinking was going to happen. And that's what happened. But that was an entertaining chamber match. And I would gladly turn that back on again to watch them go at it once more. Because they, they were incredible. They were just simply incredible, man. And I have not... Oof! Been watching a lot of... Uh, main roster stuff. I've been catching low NXT. Um, I watched Raw a few weeks ago, though, and I found Raw to be pretty entertaining with everything. I'm one of the few people that like that Goldberg is the Universal Champion right now, even though it stopped the Fiend's run, and the Fiend's gonna face John Cena. We'll see what happens. But I enjoyed that whole era of things, so to speak. So I, I was fine with all of that. Um, or not era. Um, I enjoyed, like, I don't feel like The Fiend is hurt by Goldberg winning. And I haven't watched a match from Super Showdown. I don't know if it was a quick match or a longer match. And I asked somebody, and they didn't really know. And J- they said Goldberg's jackhammer looked weak. But they're trying to protect Roman from going over to Fiend and everybody hating Roman's guts. Because they're still, fortunate to say, they're still trying to use, milk the last bit of goodwill from him going out with leukemia two years ago to keep him keep everybody happy. So now if, if Reigns beats Goldberg at WrestleMania, then people won't be so upset when they ultimately finally get the Universal Championship back on on Roman. At least that's their plan. Um I mean Brock is still the champion on Raw. That's fine. Um yeah, Drew I almost said Drew Galloway. Drew McIntyre will be facing him. So I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see what happens with that. Um, I don't know if it matters to Brock, but if he loses this year at Mania, it'll be two years in a row with a loss. And I don't remember off the top of my head who he faced at 34. That's crazy. Uh, the last few years have been kind of blurry. Um, Damn. AJ and Aleister Black are having a decent match right now. I'm not loving how AJ's been positioned with the OC before his injury. I kind of felt like since putting him in a faction was fine and him being a heel again was fine. But I feel like he kind of slipped down in the mid card and now he's battling Aleister Black. One of the NXT call-ups of the last 18 months who got to the main roster has done absolutely nothing after a great run in NXT. So he he's trying to do the Styles Clash. Alistair flips out of it. He's going for a roll up. It's a no DQ match, but they kept it pretty much in the ring. And just I've seen a kendo stick. Um, oh shit! AJ caught him off the the off the ropes. Oh, and he rolled out. I don't mean to be calling the match. I'm sorry. Okay, kick out. They're they're having a better match than anticipated. I thought this would be kind of quick. I thought AJ just might put over Alistair and. Keep things moving, but later's the women's elimination chamber match. Interested to see that, only to see Shayna Baszler's main roster run continue. I believe they're setting Becky up to go against her after Becky beat Asuka in a good match at um Royal Rumble. And then a really weird quick match on Raw where she beat her again. And then it's like, oh, I can beat anybody. And then they had had Shayna come in and bite her neck and so whoever wins this Elimination Chamber match 
will be going up against your girl, um, Becky Lynch at WrestleMania. Charlotte won the Women's Royal Rumble. She's facing Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women's Championship, of all things. And Bayley is not doing anything of importance. Still the champ. It's funny, I finally got my hands on a I'm a Hugger t-shirt, and now Bayley's not the champ. I mean, now I'm not a big fan of Bayley's gimmick. And don't get me wrong, I mean, the, fa- the face Bayley was tired. They needed a change. But I don't like everything that they've done with her. Um, I kind of hate her haircut, but that's just me. Um, I'm really hoping that with Bailey not having a clear opponent, that the move that the move would be for them to go ahead and have Sasha finally turn on Bailey, but literally WrestleMania is four weeks from Sunday. So I don't know. I don't know. Have Sasha turn on Bailey. Go main roster. Sasha's had some time off with injuries and stuff. Just go all out for four weeks and go into full Sasha Bailey mode and really push that. Um, I don't know. Becky and Shayna's kind of interested in me, but I worry that they're just going to put uh, Becky over. I feel like. Bailey and Banks at this point, especially as long as they've waited to bring it back, would be something that'd be really worth it. So I'm hoping that's the route they go. But I'm going to continue watching Elimination Chamber and talking to y'all. So welcome to Hyphen Nation. Just Welcome to the Barack Obama Approved World's Greatest Podcast, Hyphen Nation. I'm your host, Kellen Conley. Um, currently on my quarantine week from work. Um, recent episodes you've heard have been stuff I recorded prior to everything getting shut down. But I'm working one week on, one week off. It's my week off, and I needed to redo a part of this episode. So you just heard me talking about Becky Lynch and Shane on the cold opening. Obviously, WrestleMania's already happened. I already covered it. But there you go. Those are my thoughts then. Morgantown Weather Report. It's cold outside. It's like 40-some degrees, man. Yesterday was like 70. This this April weather is driving me insane. I don't know where that came from. But it just happened. Just roll with it. The Morgantown Weather Report, it is 47 degrees currently. It's been raining off and on. The wind is very strong. And tomorrow looks like we got another 47 degree day. And then we're going to warm up for the weekend with a little rain. Or not really too much rain. Monday we're going to get some rain. I'll be back at work then. And then looks like it's going to be pretty chilly for a while there. It's going to be about high 40s to uh, mid 50s. Just in case anybody's wondering. Um... But yeah, how's everybody doing? Um, I'm doing okay right now. I've snuck, I've stolen away from my family to come down here to try to re-record the beginning of this podcast. Because see what happened was, 
I recorded this beginning of March, and uh, Angel and Aaliyah were in New York City. And this is right before everything happened. And I probably mentioned it on this same podcast that you're going to hear the rest of here soon. And I sat down and I recorded the first part, I recorded the second part, and I didn't love it because the topic of one of the, the topic I'm about to get into about one of the people I was talking about, it, I didn't do very good. I mostly read Wikipedia and then just speculated a lot, speculated, speculated a lot about them. And then I get into some Derrick Rose talk later, which you will hear. And I just didn't feel like I did it justice because what had happened was a friend of my dad's, Jeff Hawkins, he said this. He said, I noticed AMC is going to show Grease Lightning this week. Wendell Scott from Danville, Virginia. He was a NASCAR champion, and I thought maybe B-Hyphen might want to consider a story for a podcast subject or something this month. This is February. I'm going to get into why I wasn't recording in February real soon. I'm not ready yet. I'm still catching up on stuff. Y'all gotten a bunch of episodes so far this week, so I hope you're enjoying those. But he, he had said this, and then he said he raced at Winchester Speedway when I was a kid. I was talking with Bob Presley several years ago, and Bob had raced Mr. Scott and had plenty of memories, plenty of stories. He mentioned Mary Scott and a dinner party she attended with him. There's a bunch of good content on the net about him and his family. Good reading. So, initially, because I was so far behind and stuff, I had wanted to... I had wanted to, uh, you know, kind of do a Black History Month kind of thing, even if it was a few weeks late in March, to kind of talk about some some uh, some men of black history, some people of black history, because black history is men and women. I'm not that guy, but it just sounded that way. <laughs> and I decided I was going to sit down and talk about Wendell Scott. And I didn't know anything about the guy. And I recorded it anyway. And I never read a bunch of Wikipedia stuff. And I was like, man, it just didn't sound like how I wanted it to. The Derek Rose part I can live with. Like, Derek is Derek. You know, the NBA season's now been uh, suspended. Um, he was injured, which uh, you'll hear later. I'm reading his Wikipedia stuff and his stats and read a bunch of stuff and realizing that he was injured and out by the time I was recording that podcast. And I was talking about how good he was doing, how I was voting for him for All-Star Game. I'm kind of stepping all over the topic, but whatever. Um, you're going to hear it later in this episode. But I just did, I didn't feel like I did Wendell Scott justice. If I say Wendell sometimes, it's fine. If I say Wendell, it's fine. So probably about two weeks ago, I, uh, Went to YouTube, and I found a documentary that ESPN had done a few years ago on them. Called, I believe it was like 2010, 2011 when they put this out. It was called Wendell Scott, A Race Story. And it was pretty much covering his career from when he was racing like the Indies to when he, um, he made it to NASCAR, or whatever it was called back then. Um... Let's see, the Grand National Series. There you go. See, that's what I did a lot of last time. He made it to the Grand National Series. And my dude, on December 1st, he won a Grand National Series race at Speedway Park in Jacksonville, Florida, coming the first black driver to win a race at NASCAR's premier level. The only black driver to win a race at NASCAR's premier level. Yeah. I know I gushed about Bubba Wallace. Um, getting, what, second place at Daytona a few years ago. He's since kind of fallen off. But I learned a lot of cool things 
just by watching this documentary about uh, Wendell Scott. So first off, first recommendation recommendation uh, recommendation of the day is to go watch a race story Wendell Scott on YouTube. The whole thing's on there, and it's good. There's interviews with his sons and his daughters. He had a lot of kids, um, and uh, I think his his mother may have uh, not his mother his wife. Um, had probably passed by the time the documentary happened. Or was she on the documentary? No, she was in the documentary. So she was still alive. I don't know if Mary Scott is still alive today. But listen, man. I was watching a show that I love that I still haven't finished, Timeless. And here's another recommendation for you, for anybody out there who needs something to watch in these uh, quarantine times. Timeless, Abigail Spencer. Um, she's the, the lead character. Ran for two full seasons, and they had a movie to cap it all off. Time travel and the whole, like, it was really well done. Uh, it's been off for, like, maybe a year or so now. Uh, go check that out. Has an amazing cast, and I just love it. So they they went back in the past, going after the bad guys, and there was this black racer, and ironically enough, that character was based on um, Wendell Scott. Uh, a fictionalized version of Wendell early in his career in 1955 was featured heavily on Timeless Episode, Episode 2, Season 2, portrayed by Joseph Lee Anderson. Wendell's history of the smuggler, mechanical and driving ability, perseverance and past and future injustices due to racial discrimination were major themes of the episode. So I'm going to try to not rely on Wikipedia as much now. But my man, Wendell, man, dude was a hustler. And when I say hustler, he I mean he 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 was a bootlegger, you know, he he was uh moving that shine, you know, doing doing things like that back in the day. Um and so all the time he would be driving those roads in Virginia, going up and down the strips, well, the dirt roads <laughs> in his car, uh hustling shine to try to make ends meet, man. And and this is just my recap of the of the ESPN thing and then what I took away from it. So he, he was moving moonshine and there was a local race somewhere and the promoters went to the police and they said, hey, we're looking for a black driver to be in this race as a kind of commodity to get people to come out and kind of see how the black driver does against the superior white man. Well, that's not how he said it, but essentially that's what they wanted. Get a black guy in there and then watch him get his soul crushed. And the cops said, Wendell Scott. Wendell Scott. Go get Wendell Scott. And because he would consistently, not to say he never got caught bootlegging, but he would consistently give the cops fits because he was such a good driver on dirt roads. And back then, uh, the Grand National Series was dirt. I mean, eventually they moved to uh, hard tops hard tracks and everything, but it was all mostly dirt. And Wendell got that whiff and he never looked back. He just loved racing. He just loved it so much. And the thing about Wendell is like when, when other racers, white racers would go out there, they would, um, you know, regardless of how they did the promoters or whoever put together everything, would at least give them enough money to get gas, go home, get some food, um, regardless of how they placed. So one of the featured stories in the doc is Wendell went to 
the promoter after the race, and he had one of his sons with him. And he was like, hey, I'm here to get my, my money so I can go home. And the promoter, like, uh, gypped him. He uh, only gave him a couple bucks. And Wendell was like, well, all those other racers, you give them X amount of money, even if they don't place. Because he's like, oh, well, you didn't place, so you don't get any real money. And he's like, I understand that, but you give everybody else money to get home. Like, how, why am I not getting that fair share? And he's like, you should be happy you got that. So that was just a, a peak of what Wendell had to go through. Um, as a racer, and that and that was nothing. I mean, he got the racing in his blood, and then he he just started racing wherever he could race, and he was literally using racing as a way to make it was his paycheck to paycheck, which is insane back then. Not, I mean, not that money was going that far back then. But to provide for an ever-growing family, because this man made some kids with Mary. <laughs> but to provide for a family like that, he he was literally racing for his life every time out there. And as he started getting notoriety and things like that, um, other racers were starting to gain respect for him, uh, like Richard Petty. And uh, Daryl Waltrip had mentioned in the doc that he had saw... Um, he saw Wendell race as a kid, and um, and then there's all these other interviews of people saying that how Wendell would race because even Richard Petty said like every time we raced, we had brand new everything, brand new car, brand new parts, everything. Wendell had owned his own car, and like he would drive it to the to the race in his truck on his and he had the bed the car in the bed of the truck. And he was just taking secondhand stuff, uh, secondhand uh, hardware. There you go. There's a good word to keep up with these white boys, essentially. And you know, like he he couldn't afford to get the he he didn't he didn't have a sponsorship. It was just Wendell on that number thirty four car, I believe. Yeah, number thirty four car. And every week, he would work on that car and make it as fast as he could. And that was his whole life, was getting under that car. And I'm not sure if he was still bootlegging on the side then or what other income he had coming in. But this is all he cared about. This is his passion. His love was for racing, man. And there were times when other racers who would come to him like, oh, hey, Wendell, we got these uh, old parts you can use and stuff like that. Never getting brand new parts, as far as I know. But the point is, he, he was always racing with hand-me-down stuff. And it didn't matter. Wendell's pit crew was himself and his boys. Like, there are multiple stories out there of, you know, you, you go for a pit stop. The racer pulls in the pit stop, and then the pit crew, even back then, would come change tires, change out parts. The driver would stay in, he'd get some water, have a smoke. He might get out, stretch his legs or something. But the whole process takes however long it takes, and then they get back in the race. Wendell came down for a pit stop. Part got out of his car 
and was changing his own tires and parts in the pit stop along with his son's help. And his sons were kids at this point. Like when, when he first started really racing, they were like, I don't know, like in teenager and like maybe nine, 10 or something like that. And they're out there helping their dad put together his car so he could get back out there. And when he was on that field, man, on, on those tracks, he was a maniac. He was a beast. Now, he wasn't winning all the races. But he, would consider, he was a studier of statistics in the field. Like the sons told us one story where he's like, we would sit there after the car was worked on and me, dad, me, me and daddy and brother sit there and go over everything. And he asked us to read the list of racers that for the, for it was racing that weekend. And was, they would start naming names. And so he would be like, got him, got him, got him. Petty probably won't beat him. Got him, got him, got him. And they would go through the whole race list. The reason he did this was because he knew he had to place a certain place in order to make money and to make those ends meet. And his son said that sure enough, they would sit there and do those projections every time. And they would say, Daddy would come right where he said he would come. Like what place he would come in. <laughs> and he, he would make the money that he needed to. And then next week it was back to the grindstone, back to the working on the car and finding the used parts from a junkyard and rebuilding the car and getting ready for the next race. Now here is the main story about Wendell. Like I said, December 1st, 1963, finished 15th in the point standings, which is incredible. Incredible. With all those other talented drivers out there, he was hanging with the best of them. 15th, with no real vehicle. And did not have top of the line stuff. He won a race. On a half mile dirt track at Speedway Park, Jacksonville, Florida. The first and to date, the only Grand National slash NASCAR event won by African American. But here's what happened. So Wendell's killing him. He's running the race of his life. It's that checkered flag. They don't drop it. Okay. Comes around again. Still in first place. Checkered flag. They don't drop it. And his third time around. They still don't drop it. But they drop it for Buck Baker. The window had lapped laps ago. 
he had won this race. But they didn't want a black man, a Negro, an African American, whatever term you prefer, winning the race. Now, from the documentary, they were like, oh, well, we couldn't have a black guy kissing the, the white beauty queen. And there's other reasons. Again, like I said, they didn't want the black man winning a race. So, they gave him the prize money, but they didn't give him the trophy. And Wendell was pissed for years that he didn't get the trophy. They finally came up to him in the rights, like, oh, yeah, Wendell, you came in first place, but there's a mistake. But here's your money, the first place prize, but no trophy. Trophy was gone. He never got that trophy. So, he kept on racing, of course, because, like I said, it, he loved it. It was his passion. But he never, ever came in first place again. And then he raced all the way through to 1973. His career started way back in 1954. He had went broke, put up everything to get himself a nice race car, finally. Something that could keep up with everybody else. New parts, new everything, so that he could compete to try, to try to keep taking that first place trophy, to get his trophy. Unfortunately, at Talladega... He was in a nasty accident. Someone thought he had died in a wreck. He didn't die. But he never raced again. And thus ended the story of Wendell Scott's NASCAR career. His Grand National Series slash NASCAR career. He passed away in 1990. And... NASCAR never recognized him as the champion, you know, as that guy who took the race. It was always Buck Brooks, officially. Buck Brooks, that's my friend. <laughs> uh, Buck Baker <clears throat> was always the one. And he died still wanting to get his trophy that they never gave to him. Now NASCAR did attempt to make things right. Because they, he was already in the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame by 2012. 
He was nominated for the first time and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2015. And then in 2010, 47 years after the race, NASCAR officially corrected their mistake. They removed Buck Baker as the winner of that race and presented his family, his sons, his daughters, his wife, with his first place trophy. I <clears throat> have long said that Dale Earnhardt Sr. was my favorite race driver. Fell out of love with it as kids. I wasn't in love with it to begin with. I just like watching the highlights in Sports Center, and I picked Dale to be my racer. After Dale passed, I slowly started losing interest, and then I haven't really watched NASCAR in years now. But Wendell Scott was a pioneer, just like Jackie Robinson, to break into a sport that is predominantly white and not just race for the sake of racing a few races. He competed every time he was out on that track. Which is just an incredible feat. Especially with some of the competition he was going up against. Especially considering he didn't have a good race car. Everything he did, he did on his own. With his own two hands. And if it wasn't his hands, it was his family's hands. To love something that much and have the passion to continue on for that whole time. And just love to drive and love to be on those dirt tracks and love the competition so much that he literally drove until his body wouldn't let him anymore. That he literally bankrupted his family to give it a go to be competitive finally without having to have a little luck on his side after all those years. It's really something. And... It kind of messes with me because when he got older, he kind of looked like my grandfather, Popple. That's what we called him, Pop. And uh, he, he was a bad motherfucker, man. He really was. And it's a damn shame that he couldn't get recognized for winning that race when he did and getting his trophy. And it's a damn shame that, of course, he went through all the horse shit that being black in that time frame brought with it especially in a predominantly white sport but he loved it and because he loved it so much the other driver saw how much he loved it and how good he was and they respected him he earned their respect one thing about the documentary there wasn't anybody who came on there who was like oh man Wendell Scott was trash no Richard Petty, some call him the king, was giving him props for what he was able to do. And that's no small task. Richard Petty is probably in some people's top five NASCAR drivers of all time. But when Richard Petty says you're a bad motherfucker, you're a bad motherfucker, I'll tell you that. So yeah, Wendell Scott never got to Live long enough to see the recognition he deserved. He ultimately got it. He's a Hall of Famer. His contributions towards breaking the color barrier in racing have led to other 
black drivers being inspired to drive for themselves. There's foundations out there, not foundations, but there's um organizations that are solely built for the advancement of black drivers in racing, which is incredible. And it's all due to a moonshiner from Virginia wanting to get out there and live his passion, you know? And I always talk about, oh man, you got to live your passion, you got to do what you love, blah, blah, blah. Wendell Scott is the perfect example of that. Absolutely perfect. And so I found a new hero that I didn't expect I'd find. So thank you, Jeff, for the suggestion. Uh, thank you, SPM, for putting together that wonderful doc. There's lots of books out there on them. I may have to look them up myself because I want to learn more about him. His story is really interesting to me. And anybody who faces a brave new world on earth, like when everybody's against them, it's amazing to me. anybody who's a black man who walks into a white man's world and shows, hey, we can do it just as good as y'all too, y'all can. That's incredible to me. So salute to you, Wendell Scott. Hopefully you were smiling down the night you finally got your trophy. Thank you for everything that you did. Look, I don't have much time, all right? So let me just say something real quick. My name is EG, and I am the host of two shows that are part of the Hyphen Podcast Group. The first show is called Catch the Show. It's a show where I talk about music-related news and pop culture, upcoming tours that you may want to catch shows of, and I tell you about a show that I call because it's the number one concert review podcast in the world, and I've reviewed shows from Beyonce to Kendrick Lamar to even the Backstreet Boys. So yeah, that's Catch the Show. The other show is called The Underground Monster. Slightly different kind of show, but still music-related. It's where I cover basically underground independent hip-hop, horrorcore, and the juggalo culture. So yeah, if you're interested in either one, go to hyphenpodcastgroup.com. And or go to your favorite podcast platform and just search for them and hit that subscribe button. Okay, got that? Cool. Now let's get you back to the show you were originally listening to. As we continue on here on the Barack Obama approved world's greatest podcast, Hyphenation, I want to talk to y'all about someone who's near and dear to my heart. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, DB hyphen. I am a big fan of Derrick Rose. I have been ever since he got to Chicago. Um, I followed him ever since the Celtics playoff series. And through the MVP season, and then through the lockout shortened 66-game season. And the whole year, that whole 20, 
2011-2012 season. Derek kept getting all these little injuries, uh, so to speak. Now, I say injuries, but, uh, I mean, they're injuries. Yes, that's exactly what they were. He just kept getting all these bumps and stuff. He'd be out a couple games, he'd come back, and the Bulls are still doing good, still challenging, you know. And then we got to that first-round series against Philly, 2012. And if I recall correctly, I was at the Boston Beanery that used to be on High Street watching the game. And things are going well. The Bulls are staying ahead. They were up on Philly. It was great. No? No, that's a lie. I wasn't watching that game. Because, you know what? More Googling. Oh, man. Because I know if anybody would have said anything about anything, it would have been me. As it was happening. So let me just roll on back to a simpler time. Ugh. All right. God. Let's see. This is going to be painful. Ugh. Um, so, ironically enough, me and Marcus were talking about Derrick Rose. Um, okay, so it looks like I wasn't watching. At all, according to my tweet, my tweets, because if I had been watching, I didn't have anything about Derek. So I did have a tweet that says Rose will be out for the playoffs. Bulls will be out second round, just preparing for the disappointment. I said that on April 28th, 2020. 2012, excuse me, at 3.49 p.m. The Bulls were beating the Sixers in the first round in game one. The Bulls were up. Derrick Rose is still in. It was late in the game. Derrick didn't necessarily need to be in. Tears his ACL. And I think I was at Boston Beanery when I was watching game two and or game three, one of those games, and the Bulls were getting worked by the Sixers. And then they ultimately lost in the first round. So we lost the league MVP and our best chance at an NBA championship to the injury. Sorry for the me looking and stuff, but I was just trying to be sure. From there, Derek then spent the next year rehabbing the knee despite the thought that he would be back for the 2012-2013 season at some point. He was out the whole entire year. The Bulls still competed, though. 
Those are some scrappy Bulls teams. But ultimately, Derek sat out, and I feel like the Bulls lost in the first round to Miami in 2013 is uh, my best guess. They they may have cleared to the second round. But the Bulls um, faded out of the playoffs in 2013 without Derek Rose. And, of course, it, it looks for the year I don't want it to. Bulls 2013. Ugh, not the 13-14 season. I want the, 14, thir- the, the year before that. Okay. The Bulls in the 27-game winning streak of the Miami Heat. Um, oh, we did beat the Nets in seven games in the first round, and then we lost to the Heat in five that season. We played the entire year without Derrick Rose. Derrick finally came back the next year. Everybody's excited. Return to action during the season over in Miami. But he played 10 games this year. His knee injuries got the better of him. That's when he tore the MCL. And, yeah, that was that. And so, everybody, he injured his right meniscus. Everybody started talking about, oh, Derek was never going to be the same, and he babied himself the year he took off. And not for one second did I ever let myself stop believing in Derrick Rose, man. Derrick was my guy. Derrick was absolutely my guy. And I I rode with him to the bitter end, man. Even that last season in Chicago... 2015-2016 2015-2016 season. And then we, we traded him to the Knicks. And we all know how all that worked out. I have quietly been following him since. So I've probably talked about him in the pod. I was watching him in a game with the Cavs. That for a few months he was in Cleveland. He kept taking all these terrible shots. If I didn't talk about him in the pod, I definitely tweeted, tweeted about it. And he kept taking all these terrible shots, and he was hurting the Cavs. And that was like the same night that uh, LeBron dropped 50 on the Wizards not too long ago. And now, just to see, let's see if I can find those tweets. So let's see. It's 18. Um, did it do? Yeah, I don't, I don't see anything. Yeah, so so Rose left the Knicks, joined the Cavs, um, traded to Utah, who released them, landed with the Timberwolves last year. I'm still following the one they call Pooh. I've never called that dude Pooh, and I will not call that dude Pooh. Just won't do it. Finds a little bit of resurgence in Minnesota last year which was very cool. Um, let's see. In Minnesota for, oh, is that, yeah, he joined in late 1718, and then he played 51 games for him last year. 
he ended up averaging 18 points, which is like the best he had done since his one and only season in New York. But injuries still tended to plague him. I feel like he wasn't involved. Yep. Right here. March 21st, 2019. He's ruled out the rest of the season with a right elbow injury. So he missed the rest of the year. He scored a career-high 50 points on October 31st, 2018. And everybody on Twitter was going nuts. But yeah, he had a nice resurgence, man. He was playing for Thibodeau before Thibodeau. I believe he got fired in Minnesota. He may have stepped down. Who I don't remember. Who cares? But I just, I fuck with Derrick Rose so heavy. That's the point I'm trying to get to. I've been all melancholy and shit. I love this guy. I love Derrick Rose, man. I, I'm a big fan of his. Now, unfortunately, just similar to uh, Kobe, there is this whole rape allegation that he, and then ultimately he was on trial for it. Um, he was found not liable. He didn't actually commit the, let's see, 2016 Rose is involved in federal and civil lawsuit to assess whether he or two friends raped his former girlfriend in August 2013. Now, months before alleged gang rape, Rose's accuser, referred to as Jane Doe in court transcripts, testified that Rose made her uncomfortable asking her for him sexual acts for him or to involve other person, people in her sex life. He would sometimes get angry when she refused. Jane Doe also mentioned that on the day of the incident, she was drugged against her consent and alternated in and out of consciousness. During the trial, Rose expressed difficulty and uncertainty with the definition of the word consent. <clears throat> so... Before we get all up, before we go all the way out, um, yeah, it sounds like Derek may have definitely raped the girl. He was found not liable by an eight-member jury in October 2016. An appeal in 2018 was denied. So I guess this is over. And similar to Kobe, um, even if you're not fully, um, even if you're not found guilty, you're kind of guilty in the public side. So that's something I always follow. It won't be on the level of Kobe because he's not Kobe Bryant. And it wasn't this whirlwind media storm surrounding him. But he also has that big stain on, on his resume. I just want to mention that because I, I don't want to be like, oh, I love Derrick Rose, even though he raped the girl. No, I'm not. I'm not for that. But back to the back to the lecture at hand, man. So, I just I just give a shit about this guy, man. In my eyes, Derrick Rose, other than that that I just spoke of, he can do no wrong. None. And then after Minnesota last year, I was uh. I was kind of energized, like man, he had a really good year that year. I'm I'm hoping. Hoping that uh he might land there there's places he could land, man. Like I heard a bunch of Chicago rumors. People can see he can still contribute. Like let Derek go, man. Let's let's go. Let's see what Derek can bring to the table, you know? And he signed with all people. No offense, maps and bane, but he signed with the Pistons. 
who have Blake Griffin and had Andre Drummond, but the Pistons haven't been exactly knocking down doors as a contender, something that Rose probably would like to be on. Um, has not been knocking down doors as a contender in recent years. But he signed up with him, which is cool. And I follow a couple Derrick Rose fan accounts. So if you see me put anything about Derrick Rose in my stories, it's normally from that. Um, but yeah, he signed with the Pistons on July 7th. And Derrick was balling out, man. He was arguably having the best season of his career. I mean, first player in Pistons history record seven consecutive 20-plus point games as a reserve, which also coincides with his career-high 14-game streak, 14 streak of scoring 20 points or more. Ironically enough, it ended when he suffered a groin injury during a game of the Denver Nuggets. Then he scored a season-high 31 points in route to a win against the Phoenix Sun. This episode is Wikipedia-heavy, and I don't care. I was voting every single day of the week to get Derek on the All-Star team. If he had made that All-Star team in Chicago, that would have been so dope. So dope. He's from Chicago. Hasn't played. I mean, he's played in Chicago for other teams since he left. But for him to come back on either LeBron's team or Giannis's team in the United Center to be on a big stage again, I really wanted that to happen, man. And he came close. Let's see. Let's get our Google on once again. How many All-Star votes did Derrick Rose get? (sighs) Good Lord. Why is Derrick Rose getting so many All-Star votes? Because Derrick Rose deserved it. Um... Yeah, I mean, damn it. Here we go. He is not selected as All-Star Reserve. Let's see. Rose missed out on being named starting roster, finishing fourth overall with a weighted score of 5.2 beyond Young, Walker, and Brooklyn's Kyrie Irving. I was voting for either Trey Young or Kemba along with Rose every time I voted. From the East, Rose racked up 1.8 million fan votes, received 40 votes from players and two votes from the media. Totaled 300,000 more votes this year than he did in his most recent All-Star appearance in 2012. Rose, 31, is playing his best basketball of the season. Of late, he has scored 20 more points, 13 consecutive games. He's averaging 18.9 points, six assists, shooting the career high, 49.8% from the field. Rose played in three All-Star games from 2010 to 2012. Man... If Derek could have made that freaking all-star team. But it, it just wasn't meant to be. And you, you just kind of have to live with that is, is the thing that I've learned. So, you know, the Pistons aren't a very good team. They're slightly ahead of the Bulls in the Eastern Conference standings right now. But I was still hopeful, you know. But... Just didn't happen. Um, and then Blake Blake's been out apparently. Blake Blake has been out with a um. Oh, what's wrong with Blake Griffin now? I just read it. Um, 
Yeah, star forward Blake Griffin out for Maynard's season because of a knee injury. God, what another bust since he went to Detroit. I'm shitting all over Detroit. I don't mean to, Maps. I don't mean to, Bane. It's just it's just the Pistons right now. I like it when the Pistons are good, personally. So, after all that hoopla of trying to get Derek in the All-Star game, and Derek having this resurgence, and then it coming out that the Lakers offered up a decent deal to get him on the squad. Listen to this. Lakers were willing to give up Alex Caruso in draft compensation for Rose, which was rejected as the Pistons had set a high value on the former NBA MVP. Lakers stood pad the deadline and VP of basketball operations, Rob Palenka, instead upgraded the roster post-deadline. So, yeah, they were they wanted to bring him in. And the Pistons said no. And I wonder, I wonder if Derek had any control over it. I don't know if he has a trade clause or anything in his contract. But if he did, and then he said no, that would be very interesting because one, I mean, everybody's like, that'd be like, oh, that's crazy. Why would we go play LeBron and AD and win a championship possibly? This episode's sponsored by Dr. Pepper, by the way. Here's the thing. If he did do that, Derek's on a record saying that he didn't love playing LeBron in Cleveland in LeBron's last year there. He, was it his last year or did he play two more? Let's see. LeBron's been to LA one season. That was 2016-17, right? No, 17-18 because they won. They won in 15. They won the 15-16 championship. And then they lost in 17 and 18. LeBron left after that. So yeah, that very last year in Cleveland, like Derek was like, I didn't like playing LeBron because that had been my main rival in the East for so many years when I was with Miami. Being a part of the team with him was just weird and it just never felt like it fit. And now, knowing that, if he had any kind of say in it, I could definitely see why... The trade didn't go through. Otherwise, the Pistons just wanted wanted more. And Alice Caruso and draft compensation is is okay, I guess. I mean, considering the season Derrick Rose has had, the Lakers lowballed him, but at the same time, it, it would have been a move beneficial for the Pistons. But let's see. How long is Derrick Rose's contract with the Pistons? According to NBC Sports, Rose's deal is reportedly for $15 million over two years and gives a Pistons team that could use more solid guard play a great option. So two years. So they, they're, they're betting on themselves, I suppose, because, I mean, if you bring them back in, I mean, they run it back next year and Blake comes back healthy and they add some pieces, get some something in the draft. I mean, he's coming off the bench anyway. Who knows what they could be building towards, but 
is just another year of his career where he won't be able to, excuse me, he won't be able to win a title ultimately. So I was sad he didn't make it in Chicago. I was sad he didn't get traded to a contender. And then right before I recorded this podcast, I decided to check on my mans. And um, Derek Rose's MRI results on ankle injury are negative. Expected to miss weeks. Arg. Chuck Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports noted Pistons are expected to be cautious of Rose's injury. And a veteran expect to make a full recovery after he hurt the ankle in the first quarter against the Kings on Sunday. Uh, diagnosed with a grade two sprain, re-evaluated in two weeks. Something about how much he's been injured. FU um, Bleacher Report. Bring an all-star before he got hurt. Rose put up 18 points, 4.3 assists, and 2.7 rebounds per game. Oh, well, that was last year. Um, Rose put up 18.1 points this year and 5.6 assists per game and 50 appearances this season. Man. And then there there was somebody who had, who had said Derrick Rose should sit out the rest of the season. And you know how I feel about that. Let's see. Let's go check that out. Um, everybody's talking about uh, the Caruso trade that didn't go through. So let's see. They're saying, this is from Fansighted, they're saying Derrick Rose should not play again this year. Rose's contract allows for plenty of flexibility next season. Detroit Pistons are out of playoff contenders. Be plenty of contenders looking to add a ball handling guard. Appears to have rejuvenated his career. Never score enough again to be considered league MVP. Slashing guard can score well with his mid-range jump shot. It's fearless to take your right to the rack. Um, so essentially this is saying the Pistons should hold on to him and not take the chance of hurting him anymore because he could be a big trade asset in the offseason. Which is fine. And if Angel was here right now, Angel like, what's wrong? Did Derek Rose did Derek Hose Derek Rose get hurt again? Yes. Why does it matter? <laughs> I love Derek Rose, man. And I really, really, really hope that. Even if he never comes back to the Bulls, which makes very little sense considering the Bulls are still trash. I hope he continues to do well the rest of his career and kind of put his past behind him. It looks like he's never going to get away from being injured. But if he could just put together a nice couple of seasons where he doesn't go out with season-ending injuries and he's on a contender, I would love to see that. because. Derek is my favorite current NBA player, period. Like, they're like, oh, what about LeBron? What about Kawhi? I love LeBron. I love watching Kawhi. I love Russell Westbrook. 
I do not like James Harden. Um, starting to respect Chris Paul, but that's a whole different other topic. Shut up, Marcus. But Derek, Derek's been my guy for so long, man, for so long. And to see him finally succeed on some level would be amazing. And I really hope that uh, that happens still. He's 31. I assume he will be 32 this year. So who knows, man? It doesn't look like it's in the cards. But I did want to kind of shout out the great season he was having. And when I wrote this, this was around, I think this is right after he got snubbed by the All-Star team. So now it turned into a sad-ass topic where I'm just talking about my favorite basketball player who just can't seem to get it done will stay on the court mostly he, he was playing great I hope he's able to continue his resurgence and um, keep it competitive and maybe slip in there and win an NBA title that's what I want for Derrick Rose so what an episode who knew you'd be turning on the hyphenation and listening to me talk about a black NASCAR driver and the once again the pressing story of Derrick Rose. But yo, Rose is just doing like if you want to have a good time, I've been watching a lot of Derrick Rose highlights this season. Just go watch this man cook in a Pistons uniform. He has not been as exciting to watch since he was in a Bulls uniform. I, I swear to you. Hand to God. You won't you won't regret it. It's your girl, Holly Quinn, a.k.a. Dr. Harleen Quinzel, here to tell you all about it's like a podcast or whatever. We talk about nerd stuff and life stuff, and if you want to know what we're about, check out the Powie Awards, our 100th episode, Q and Slay, or Theater from Our Butts. Have a good day, puddins, and love, trust, and belief. Now. Hyphen universe. God bless America. Hyphen Nation is brought to you by Hyphen Podcast Group. Is that right, Raul? That's right. Hyphen Podcast Group, a Morgantown, West Virginia-based podcast collective, bringing great podcasts to the people. HyphenPodcastGroup.com. And brought to you by Mark Robb, written by my semi-regular co-host, also now co-host of we Should Do This Again Sometime with Cat and Mark. Mark is showing Mad Love Robinson. He writes prolific paragraphs. You can read those at the marcrob.wordpress.com. I think I said it wrong last episode. Now I think about it. Again, that's Mark. That's the marcrob.wordpress.com. You can find Hyphen Nation, the Barack Obama approved world's greatest podcast. On only two platforms that seem to matter, which is Apple Podcasts and Spotify. But you should be able to find it on any other platform you like, as well as any of the other great hyphen podcast group shows. So don't forget about those. I do want to tell you that if you happen to go by Apple Podcasts and then you leave a review, good or bad, um, I will read it on the show. But mostly hit, hit us with those five stars, man. Please and thank you. Good looking out. 
Now from there, I always like to say the power of positivity is real. Get that negativity out of your life, no matter what it may be, no matter what you have to do, you got to do you. That's right. You're welcome. You got to do you. And give people their flowers while they're still here, because you never know when it's their time to go. I promise you that. You just never freaking know. I do want to tell y'all that if you want to get a hold of the show or me, it's a b hyphen at gmail.com, b h y p h e n, or at b hyphen on Twitter, or the b hyphen on Instagram, or hyphen universe on Facebook. That's where the universe comes in, hyphenuniverse.com. That's my personal website. I don't know what I'm doing with it, but it's there. Um, or if you want to go through hyphen podcast group, it's hyphen pie group on Twitter, hyphen podcast group on Instagram and Facebook, and hyphen podcast group at gmail.com. So you can reach out in all those ways. Tell a friend to tell a friend that it's them again because y'all need to be at your water cooler talking about Wendell Scott, one of the few African-American stock car drivers who just so happened to race in my hometown at Winchester Speedway back in the day. A man who's been through some shit and finally got recognized in the NASCAR Hall of Fame in 2015. Shout out to you again, Mr. Scott. Don't forget about his documentary. Check it out. Look him up. It'll be worth your time. I promise you that. Um, or you can talk about how, why the hell does Kellen, is Derrick Rose Kellen's favorite basketball player when Giannis exists? Because I care about Derrick Rose, damn it. Don't you question the hyphen. What is wrong with you? Good Lord. I'm just saying. Recommendations. I have some. So let's, let's, uh, let's kick out three of these. The Book of Basketball 2.0, it just completed its first season. Um, I was a little disappointed with Simmons on that. Like I said, I have a bone to pick with Simmons in another time. Um, it was fun. The episodes talking about like the, the pyramid pods were fun. A lot of rewatchable game episodes that I felt weren't very well done. Um, I mean, they're, they're fun for the conversation and stuff, but... Really, I'm a little disappointed in the Book of Basketball 2.0, but I'll continue to listen to it because I'm a dumbass. But an episode that is really good, The Night Kobe Called Me Out of the Blue, which is about the night that Kobe Bryant called Bill to talk about basketball. And just, they had this X amount of time conversation and uh, Bill wasn't expecting it. Like he texts and said, Hey, this is Kobe. Can I call you? And like, Bill's like, yeah, right. And then Kobe's like, you're a jackass from Boston. It's me. And he called him. It was Kobe. And they kind of built a friendship over the years. And then he said, he said it then in the pod, he had saw Kobe at a soccer game. God, like early in January or something like that, maybe late December. And they were, their kids or girls are playing on opposite fields or whatever, but Kobe, of course, is out there in L.A., and he had his Mamba tent set up, and like everybody knew Kobe Bryant was over there. And Bill didn't want to – Bill was there to watch um, his daughter, Zoe. But Bill Bill's like, oh, you know, I'm not going to go over there and interrupt him let him enjoy watching his daughter's game. So he sent Kobe a text, and Kobe, he's like, hey, uh, see, I, I saw you, see you over there. And Bill's like, and Kobe's like, well, why don't you come over? And uh, Bill's like, oh, I didn't want to bother you. Da 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 da. And then um, Kobe's last text to Bill, it might have been the last time he spoke, was next time. 
So yes, the the specter Kobe Bryant continues to linger over hyphenation. Real talk. It's a real good podcast though, because it's it's short. Bill essentially had called Kobe after they talked that night and said, I want to publish what we talked about. And he's like, fuck you, that's off the record. And he kept it off the record until Kobe died. And they just had a a nice little conversation about the NBA and about basketball, man. It was super dope. And Bill kept it just him. Pod was maybe less than 20 minutes, but it was so good. And then he did the same thing with the Bill Russell episode at the end of um end of the season. It was a rehash of something he had written before with some updates, but I still found it to be very good. So check that out. Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix. Um, got put onto this by E. I'm going to be talking about E and a couple other people um, here on the pod uh, very soon. But uh, I got put onto it, and it's um, by this, uh, I don't know, I think he goes by Shad. Um, let's see. Hip Hop Evolution Shad. He's the host, and he's also a rapper from Canada. And... This show's been on, um, this is, they just put out their fourth season. Show started in, um, 20, when did Netflix bring it out? So the first season on HBO Canada, and it's been on Netflix ever since. Um, yeah, and I, I just really love it, man, because he started the beginning of hip hop. You get all the pioneers, you learn about some shit that you've never heard about when it comes to birth of hip hop. Then he moves it. From there, and eventually we get to the end of the over to the West Coast. By the end of the first season, um, second season, he starts talking about like um, hip hop through the '80s and it going mainstream and more West Coast stuff where they're doing in the early '90s and things like that, which is super dope. Um, and then he talks about the New York um, Renaissance, of course, with Pete Rock, Nas, uh, Hove coming in. And all of that, it was it's super freaking dope. The most recent season just came out in January, focused on the South. Um, oh, he went and talked to um to Uncle Luke in like season two, and that was super cool. But in this season, he went back down south, talked to Master P and Baby and uh, Manny Fresh and uh, Atlanta. It had a lot of Atlanta in there. It was mostly oh Outcast. How could I forget Outcast? Season four is really dope because each episode is about an hour and the way it's shot and edited and the interviews are all cut together. And there's a plethora, plethora of great artists and journalists and people who's been involved with hip hop at various times and it's since his birth that uh, he had interviews with. And it's super cool. So I can't stress enough. It's on Netflix now, all four seasons. Each season is four episodes. Uh, I got through it in about a week or so. And I loved every minute of it. Last recommendation I'm going to give y'all is Phineas and Ferb. Aaliyah started watching it on Disney+. Plus. I freaking love Phineas and Ferb. I got put onto it by a friend of ours who told me about this Disney show she watched with her boys, Phineas and Ferb. And she said, oh, I thought you, you might like it. And it turns out I liked it. So if you ain't seen Phineas and Ferb, it's about the never-ending summer vacation of theirs. and. They're uh, they're two brothers, 
each day they're like, what are we going to do today? I know what we're going to do. And then they do this crazy thing. And then Candace is the older sister, always trying to bust them. Never gets to bust them. But the show's very funny. There is a secret agent platypus who goes by the name of Perry the Platypus. And he fights his arch nemesis, Dr. Doofenshmirtz, every episode. And it's just really well done, man. So if you just want to kind of find something to binge on Disney Plus that you don't have to think a whole lot about that will keep your attention, Phineas and Ferb, you're welcome. Words of wisdom for today. Go watch the men's tag team elimination chamber match. That's my words of wisdom. Go do that. Even if you're not a wrestling fan, go find it because it's so freaking dope. They did such a good job with it. It's highly impressed. Uh, the women are on now. And looks like Baszler has eliminated everybody with her finisher. And now we're waiting for Asuka to be let out of her pod. Wow, they really made us stand here for two minutes. No, I ain't talking about this right now. I'm going to get some wrestling in soon, I promise, though. I promise. Um, talk about some current stuff, because I know last time that I did anything. Oh, Liv's still in there, too. So she eliminated um, Natalia and Sarah Logan and maybe Ruby Riot, depending on when Ruby went out. Shayna looks like a badass, though. Sorry, sorry, I'm getting distracted. <sighs> yeah, but after my little pie with Angel and stuff, I figured uh give y'all a break, especially after my going over the biggest Royal Rumble in history up to that point before they did the 50-man Royal Rumble at the greatest Royal Rumble. <sighs> Thank you to each and every one of y'all who listen to the podcast. It means the world to me. Shout out to um, supporters of the podcast, Melisette, Derek Ferguson, and Matthew Spencer. Salute to all three of y'all. If you want to um, support the podcast, um, you can just check it out on Anchor. Uh, or you can go to the Patreon. So you can support the podcast in any of those ways if you feel like you want to do that. I'm not going to stop you. I'll, I will tell you thank you gladly. So I say all that to say this. Thanks, y'all.
for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and comment. This has been a Hyphen Podcast Network production. They're the bestest. I'm getting paid at exposure.